tribe members out there, welcome to this very exciting episode. Something that has been circulating in my space recently is the conversation of returning home to your womb and living in a gentle state of feminine energy. Today, I am joined by the very embodiment of the wild feminine, Sousa Octaviano. You might know her by the Instagram handle, who is Sousa? So, that's the first question I'm going to delve into. I think people are probably curious, who is the enigma behind the name? It's so funny. I remember when I first changed my Instagram name to who is Sousa, which I don't even remember exactly, exactly when, but it was the first time I realized the power that we have over our our own sovereignty and agency for allowing ourselves to be constantly evolving. Mm -hmm. And I don't like boxes. I don't like being labeled as things. And who is Sousa was just this, I don't want to use the word attention grabbing because that's not necessarily what I meant either. It was more like reflective. Yeah. Because by going, oh, who is Sousa in my own world, I'm constantly reflecting in my heart who I am. But the person who may read that or read my content or see what I do, I hope that I can kind of prod, provoke, who are you within yeah. this context, within this um, ecosystem that we are, are all in? Yeah. So who is Sousa is a constant evolution. That's what I kind of meant by that. Yeah. So it's like this weird catch 22. I don't have an answer for who Sousa is. It's like this breath out that I don't need to know who I am to show you how I am evolving and how my work is being delivered. I think that's um, really important for a lot of people to hear because it just gives a space for everyone to kind of evolve at their own, um, yeah, their own state. And that's kind of the point of the Earthling of the Month podcast is to talk to inspiring people that then inspire other people to kind of go on their own journeys, I suppose. Totally. If... If I hung on to the fact that they had to know exactly who they were before they put anything out there, before they shared their art, before they shared their purpose, then we'd all just be stuck in bed all day. Yeah. You know, the pressure and the weight of the world, it can be quite a pressure. Mm. While like, what if we took it in the other respect? It's like, cool, we're constantly questioning and evolving and that's fucking cool Mm. so when did your awakening journey begin then okay this is cool um so i was i'm gonna say just before i was 18 i hurt my back and this was when i was living in melbourne and i remember not being able to work for a few days and being in so much pain And my housemate's mother came over and was like, holy moly, you have the back strength of an old person and a Mm. core strength of an old person. It's like, do you do any working out? Do you do any? I was like, I hate sport. Mm. (laughs) That was my answer. Like, I just didn't. Um, But something was that was really upsetting because I was not even 18 yet. And I was injuring myself because I wasn't strong enough. Mm. But I was also experiencing a lot of... Look, I was never diagnosed, so I don't want to like just throw around terms. Mm. I think that's very dangerous as well. But I was really... I was experiencing a lot of anxious feelings. I was always on edge. Like Mm. I would break out in hives Mm -hmm. very frequently just from stress. Yeah. that emotion driving physiology almost isn't it totally um my hay fever back then was horrible Mm. um my immune system was just effed i was totally on a hyper alert and i ended up practicing yoga Mm. by myself and how that led to is like my boss asked me to practice with her and i went actually no that might be good i hurt my back so that's when it started but and what sort of yoga was that? So at the time it was Bikram. Okay. So it was a very physical practice. Mm. And that's all that I probably could handle at the time was the physical practice. Yeah. It wasn't until two years later where I did my first teacher training where I tell this to anybody and everybody. And I would say that it was a spiritual shotgun to the face. Yeah. 
because um, I wouldn't say I was ready for it, mm. but it was ready for you. Yeah, it just, I came from a very religious background. Okay. I grew up Catholic, so my ideas of God and self-worth were very different. Mm. My connection to Mother Earth and how people were connected to the environment were very different. At that point, yes, I cared very deeply about people and mm. social welfare and the environment in the way that my mind knew and the way that I thought that I needed to serve the world to be of value. But it was actually coming from a place of fear. So when I had come out of this yoga teacher training, with literally that first month that I came out, I and even then already, um, you know, I'd started looking at astrology and looking deeper and I didn't know that there was this whole spiritual world that I didn't have access to mm. that I was, I literally questioned everything, my identity, my relationships, my friendships, my family, and I couldn't handle what I was experiencing. And I was never really much of a heavy drinker or a heavy drug taker, but I don't think anybody can go through what I went through without it feeling traumatic, mm. and without feeling like, without community and without the right support system and without the right continuous practice, of course it's going to feel too much. Mm. And so my awakening journey wasn't this healing that happened. It was actually not like that mm. and it was like cool I found something that made me feel great and it's awesome and I questioned everything and then when I turned to drugs and alcohol because what I found in my own spiritual self was too much mm. it was like this weird thing where it was like up down up down for the first two years yeah um that's a long time to be yeah like an emotional roller coaster totally mm. it's a long time but it's not really a long time in the scheme of things yeah that's true because at that point in time it was so funny i'd be going to doofs and things like that in yeah. melbourne and, just, <laughs> and teaching meditations and i started my teaching journey living um a double life which i'm so okay with now yeah because in the end of the day whatever thing that we are seeking it's all about like how we are actually healing the root of it mm. so even for example what i love about what you do with eConscious is like really spreading this really powerful message of like connection with people in the earth right mm. but why is it that we have spending habits or a culture around material things or waste mm. or the ecology of our market where rather than prioritizing what is healing or what is good for the earth we'd rather take something quick yeah we'd rather take something that feels good on that surface level Band-aid effect. which is what we do mm. in regular life mm. so for me when i heard about you it was like okay we're not actually doing the band-aid thing mm. You know, we're going somewhere that is, uh, yeah, sustainability in the long run isn't just about environmental sustainability for me because I think we're here to live an enjoyable and beautiful life. Definitely, for sure. Um, but the full aspect of wellness, which is like, you know, your health, your relationships, you know, what I buy for my home, what I buy for other people, you know what your I mean? Your community of Your community, people. Yeah, yeah, I feel like... Yeah total sustainable integration is conscious mm. it's not oh look yes you know like even just people refer to the old times and how like you know we live by the season things like that which i love mm. but it's being able to marry like what we've got in the past with innovating for the future definitely i've had lots of conversations around that we live in this world where we have sort of everything at the touch of our fingertips in like it's a double-edged sword in like both good and bad um but in the sense that we can connect on a global scale now by the touch of a button and that's insane so to kind of think about going back to a simpler time is almost naive in a sense um but yeah marrying the two together is a perfect way of describing that yeah i um i'm a very tactile person and so my first just to refer back to your original question 
my first idea of awakening felt like martyrdom Mm. it felt like renunciation and it felt ugly yeah it felt like i'd made everything about myself and my environment and who i was wrong Mm. i'm okay to speak about that now because at the time i was like on my spiritual high horse that i didn't even know i was so far up on this own pile of shit that i had yeah while now it's like enjoying the beautiful parts of life inner and outer beauty it reflects yeah you know like i take a lot of pride in you know what i wear now not because of style but because of it's a reflection of how i feel inside yeah but it's not necessarily meaning that i spend two hours of my time getting ready Mm. either it's just like cool i like one of the things I share is like dress for the way that you want to feel. Mm. You know, if I'm going to just wear the same thing day in, day out and also wear something that's fast fashion, mm. that's unsustainable, mm. that's not in the long run, like good for the environment, then what does that clothing really mean? Yeah. You know, and I how you're valuing yourself in that sense. Yeah. Like, yeah. Bringing those things into your life. Totally. I think yeah. when people ask me as well, like, oh, where'd you get that from? Or blah, blah, blah. Like, they'll just hate me because half my stuff, I stopped buying fast fashion um, a couple of years ago. And it's great that there's so many brands now that yeah. are out. Um, but I, a lot of my stuff will either be handed down from friends I'm that are great same. labels, yeah. um, my sister as well. Um, I will invest in some really cool quality pieces. Um, and when it comes to like great high quality clothing i'm not afraid to invest a lot of money on a piece that i know it's going to last long Mm. so majority of what i wear is it's so funny me and my boyfriend have a term for it we call it spiritual vogue (laughs) i love that (laughs) um because it's like we can get so stuck up in our awakening journey that we forget that we're fabulous human beings Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and not to take it so seriously all the time totally have fun with it totally yeah for sure yeah um while we're on the topic of clothing i know that kundalini teachers or facilitators wear white i've always had curiosity around yeah. that and i bet a few listeners do as well can you explain a little bit about that? totally and it's funny because you probably know oh she's wearing a white shirt today. yeah i always wear something that's white um okay let's start from the basics which is i said I wear how I want to feel. Yeah. So if I've got a lot on that day, like I'll wear something and most people will dress to the occasion, Mm. right? But rather than dressing to the external occasion, I dress for the internal occasion. Mm. It's like, okay, like feeling more empowered or simple, like feminine, whatever, right? Mm. With the Kundalini stuff, white when we look at the science behind colors Mm -hmm. which there is a science to it every color holds okay so let's go let's start from even further back black is black because when we look at light light reflects the different types of rays yeah and black as a surface as a color absorbs it yeah right? that's why when you go out for a hike or something and you're wearing all black it's a very terrible mistake yes yeah right <laughs> so white reflects all the colors yeah so when you're looking at it from that standpoint okay so light is reflective black is, is absorbing white as a color it amplifies our aura a magnetic field mm-hmm. and so it's reflective aspects is really powerful for our energy yeah beautiful um is my simple answer yeah but i always said i like to give the science before it's like well let's just take it back a notch yeah why is that i can't just say yep it amplifies your aura (laughs) like i love as well the intelligence behind the science Mm. and so wearing white isn't gonna fix your problems guys yeah yeah (laughs) but um depending on your presence as well like i find when i wear white i am more mindful of how i move around in the world and Mm. this is just something i've observed because 
I'm not going to just sloppily lean on something. Yeah. I'm not going to eat messily. Mm. There's a certain grace and radiance that I'm invited into when I'm wearing white because I just don't want to get it dirty. Yeah. Um, and so for me, there's this next level of mindfulness that occurs which then amplifies the fact that I am deliberate with my actions and mm. I'm deliberate with what I do. Mm. So it's like multi-layered for me. Yeah, that's really beautiful. But the main Kundalini thing is it's about amplifying the aura. Yeah, that's kind of a perfect um, segue into the next thing I wanted to talk to you about, which is your inner muse work and kind of reconnecting with that feminine inside mm. you. That's how I've read it anyway. Yes. Yeah. Perfect. I love that you said that because it's funny because it's – even looking at the way she's been described, um, I don't actually use the word feminine much, but I okay. love that you have used that for your understanding yeah. because what in a muse for me and for the women who are in this first round have noticed within their lives is that there is this essence within them that is a creative, rebirthing, powerful energy that has either been rejected, laid dormant, um, not given expression to, yeah. or from the type of consumption we have, feels confused mm. when everyone has their own inner muse or inner inspiration. So I'll wind it back to how she first came into form because I say a lot that like, I really truly believe that everything that we put out in the world is a culmination of everything that we've done. So although In a Muse will only really launch this week, like the first session, and I only launched her. Thank you. It was so beautiful. The creation of her started at the beginning of this year. There was an aspect of my work that really wanted to help women understand that there are techniques around their energy, around coming together as a community, especially around Aquarian age teachings. Mm. So this is why I bring in the Kundalini aspect, as well as the mentoring that I give of the 10 years of spiritual healing that I have gone through, that I'm now able to own. Mm. And what's been really healing for me isn't when although I have my own team of spiritual healers and mentors, which is everyone I think needs to have their like their team. Soul fam? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The most healing hasn't been when I'm on a table. Yes, it is when I'm in session, but the actual healing has been when I've been guided into my own sense of inspiration and I've been in creation mode. Mm-hmm creativity as an essence is part of our life force it's part of our kundalini women are creative hello womb Mm. like that is part of our thing Mm. but we manifest something into existence totally (laughs) right and um the way of of the inner muse is being this magnet so uh one of our teachers yogi bhajan talks a lot about like we are not the doer Mm. okay so yes we we work hustle we do the things but the most incredible opportunities that come into creation are the ones that we collaboratively work with universal energy as well as that own divine energy within us Mm. and allow that to be this dance but when we are creatively dry when we aren't clear on how we like to play and express when we don't prioritize our body, our mind and our soul, Mm. how are we going to know how to listen to that space? How do we know to trust the journey that we're on? How do we even know where to start with co-creation? How do we even know what is within our own alignment, like a non-negotiable for us? So what in a muse is, is like this, it's the tip of the iceberg essentially because it is only six weeks. So these women are going through this rapid, powerful process with with learning that, okay, look, I don't need to look externally all the time mm. to be inspired or to copy 
because that's the thing too we'll look at someone else's work and think i wish i could do that yeah but it's like i get it i get it like i'm inspired by so many women and men Mm. and i think wow i wish i had an eye for that um and i don't think being a muse isn't about just art what do you mean by that so um one of my first books that i read when i realized that there was something that i wanted to do in the world that wasn't just having a job yeah and getting paid and it's called the war of art by stephen pressfield okay and he talks about how why is it as artists or creative people we struggle to get our work out there and believe in ourselves Mm. the art itself and the genius of creativity doesn't belong to us we get gifted this from the divine. Yeah, I agree with you there. The right? ideas kind of float around in the ether and they hit us when we're in tune. Totally. Yeah. And so that's also from Elizabeth Gilbert. Yeah. Right? Big yeah. Magic. So yeah, those two she's books. Amazing. She's amazing. But what I love about Stephen Pressfield and the War of Art is that for me, what I received out of it is like, sit your, f- I was going to say the <laughs> F word, ass <laughs> <okay>. down <laughs> and do the work. Yeah. Even when the ideas aren't there. None of this busy get your to-do list done yeah. and mindless tasks done. Because I think there's the relationship between discipline and devotion uh, is a dance. Yeah. I have a very negative relationship to discipline. Yeah, I'm a bit the same in that sense. So I rebel. I go, oh, you want me to do that? Oh, you need me to do that today? <clears throat> you know i'm yeah. not doing that yeah while discipline comes from the heart and the will slash the potency of perseverance mm. because if you're totally devoted to your mission then there's nothing that you won't do for it and so for me devotional doing that comes as a part of in the muse the science behind practice you know practice and all and all is coming as we Mm -hmm. say in yoga the science behind putting your work and yourself out there you're going to see results yeah whether the results are what we think it is or not yeah but you have to be out there doing it Mm. so for me it's like any sport you know is a mix of talent a mix of effort a mix of technique yeah and i feel like technique is the science mm. technique is the i'm gonna dedicate this many hours a week to this i'm gonna make sure that i'm not on my phone at this time because science has told me that the hours before i go to bed and the hours just before i start my day are really my subconscious is really susceptible mm. to that so why am I going to go on my screen? Why am I going to check my emails first thing? Yeah. Why am I going to check and watch some trashy TV show just before I go to bed mm. when my brain is literally reprogramming itself? Yeah. That's what I mean by science. Mm. And what I mean by the art, it's like how can I maximize or how can I maximize my own creative expression that comes through while working with those parameters? Yeah, definitely. It's like working intuitively to get your creation out there in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. But also working with what is, what may be new to a lot of people in terms Mm. of like understanding the science behind learning, Mm. the magnetic field and things like that. Yeah. I think for me personally with the e-conscious launch of everything, I felt my most creative in my Vata time. So Mm. I really worked with that and as what I'd kind of um, yeah read about and had onboarded into my own life and my own daily practice mm. was trying to live like in those sort of times as much as possible. Mm. Yeah, that was kind of a powerful realisation for me as well. Mm. And then you look at the nine to five slog that a lot of people are doing and you kind of wonder why we're in this sort of scarcity mindset a lot of the time. Totally. And I look at um, even recently... Um, diving into human design Mm. um one of our great friends he's a human design analyst and the gene keys um i don't actually know what you call that but the gene keys is like the feminine aspect and the human design is like the mechanics or the 
the masculine aspect of of the body and the spirit yeah and um one of the aspects of human design is the energy type that you are and my energy type is i'm a projector yeah and so, and there's generators, there's manifestors, yeah, and there's reflectors. Yeah, I manifestor generator. I did mine yesterday. Interesting. In you're so your man gen? Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you're an energy type. Yeah. You're a full-on energy type. Yeah. And um, with me being a projector, I am a non-energy type. Mm. So two things that come from that. No matter how much I love my work, it's going to feel like work. Yeah. That's one of my mentors say that, Tara Blitz. She's like, I no matter how much you love your work you know how they have this saying where it's like you know find something you love um to do and you'll never work a day in your life yeah that's not really true for projectors yeah it's still gonna feel like work for us so but in order to be really impactful at best ideal for us is only working three four hours a day mm-hmm. which is like ludicrous for people who don't un- don't believe in the that there is a life outside the nine to five model mm-hmm. or that even the opposite side of that, it's like being an entrepreneur that has to work all day, every day. Mm. While like... Your like self-accountability. Yeah. Mm. While yeah. like as a projector, if I am not spending half my day in play, nourishing all of that stuff, the work that I do is still great, but it won't, it won't feel like my most magnetic self. Yeah. So I'm still working at getting my work down to three or four hours a day. The Tony Robbins kind of. Yeah, but yeah. it's funny. Like it's um, totally, totally. Mm. And um, that means, you know, starting to outsource a little more. But then the way I see it, especially for those who may be listening to this podcast, is like when you work in an ecosystem – it's not just about your zone of genius. Think about the person who is dreaming of collaborating with you. Mm. Think about the person who wants to get their hands in the mud and get there with you. Yeah. Because whether we like it or not, the new way of working in the world is collaborative. Mm. I huh. love it. It gives everyone an opportunity to connect to people. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Um, and when we just try to do it all on our own we run ourselves dry mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah 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 definitely i can't even remember how we got there but... <laughs> <laughs> it was a bit of a tangent wasn't yeah, it but it was beautiful yeah nonetheless um with this interview stuff i know that your kind of persona has shifted on social media we spoke about that and i think you came out and sort of said yeah i'm ruffling some feathers but you know i'm living my truth why do you think it is that people respond in such a defensive way when someone's living in their vulnerability? Good question. So let's just like break that down. Why do people respond the way that they do Mm. when someone is living in their vulnerability? (laughs) People don't like being provoked when what's being put in front of them challenges their way of being Mm. full stop Mm. i know i don't and before i used to react to that just because i don't like something doesn't mean i don't see the goodness in it for me Mm. i am getting way better at equanimity so i'm so grateful for that i'm not saying that i just take shit on and make sure that whatever that's not it either it's more that the lens has to be more long-term. And so people don't like having their feathers ruffled in their short-term self, mm. um, but then they can't see the long-term lens. Yeah. However, in saying that, that's just one opinion. Mm. The direction I may be going may not be for the people that are unfollowing me now. And mm. that is so okay because... One of the things that really shifted my tune as I've started to grow my um, second business, Bending Rules, is that creating a community online has nothing to do with how many followers you have. 
but how are you really serving those people that are actually there? Mm-hmm. Now, looking at who were actually there and who was actually engaging, I'm not saying that we weren't a match at all, but some people may have followed me when it was just totally in their comfort zone. Yeah, yeah. While yesterday, for example, I had a potential discovery call for a potential mentoring client. Mm. And I said to her, I'm not here to help you feel comfortable in your comfort zone. Mm. And I only work with women who are willing to get their hands dirty and stretch. Yeah. And that's what I'm also starting to do with my Instagram Mm. is that if the who is Sousa that is evolving is too uncomfortable for them, that's a-okay. Actually, I have to read you something because one of my favorite yogis, I I tagged her in in that post and I actually sent this to one of my besties. I was like, oh my God, she commented. (laughs) Um, because it was really funny. She goes, as a very wise mentor told me, losing followers is the blessing of gaining focus and clarity. Yeah. Good for you. Now the real work can begin. That's awesome. I love that. Um, which is true. Yeah. So it's like, cool, I'm not here to pertain to everybody. No. I'm here to appreciate. I am here to love up those who are noticing what I'm doing and going, oh my gosh, there's something something stirring and rumbling inside of me mm. and I want to go deeper into that. Yeah. That's who I want to serve now. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And it's like what we spoke about before, people having this perception of you through mm. a lens, um, which is, you know, completely their own thing if that no longer resonates. They might come back to it later when something else kind of awakens and they go, oh, actually, who is Susa was doing something similar over there. And yeah, and then that might be the right time for them. But Totally. And yeah. I've even cut, cut down who I follow. Like I'm really loving, what was it? Like at the start of the year, I cut it down to like 300 or something like that. Because mm. um, I was just like following everybody and anybody. Mm. Um, but I realized that especially as a projector and no matter what type of energy type you are, but for me especially, um, I have this ability to connect with someone's energy. doesn't matter whether it's in person or online. I can empathize really well. I'm, I can connect with that. But when I see that, whether or not I choose to let it in, mm-hmm. it's taken up some space within my own psyche. Um, and so by going, nothing like everything's important, but nothing's important, you know? And yeah. it's like, it's just social media. That even if I'm friends with you in the real world or even if I'm friends with you on Facebook, because Instagram is such a visual and energetic platform, I needed to cut down the noise. And yeah. I even recently cut it down to just like 90 or something. Yeah. Um, and just getting even more like fine-tuned with it. Yeah. And it's not saying that oh, I've unfollowed you, we're not friends. It's not even that at all. Mm. You know, it's just like, cool, I'm just very mindful with what I see and that's cool. Yeah, that's it because otherwise it's just consumption of things that overwhelm and kind of get you diverging off your path as well. Yeah, and I, you know, one of the things I first said to the ladies at Women at Intermuse was I was really clear on how we communicate to each other in that space and I was like, please turn your notifications off it's going to go wild in here because it's very interactive. Mm. Turn your notifications off and let's just consciously come back into this space when it's rife and right. I mean, there's this balance between being complacent, turning it off and not being there at all and not participating. Mm. That's not what I want either. Like, and you get whatever it is that you put energy into, that's what you'll get out of. Mm. But what if you were so deliberate with your time and your energy that yeah. when you went in there, it was just like, no noise, I'm receiving what I need to receive, mm. you know? Yeah. And I feel like um, even starting the conscious platform, I follow businesses that are in alignment with what I'm doing or mm. spaces or people. And I've been able to just kind of, like, it's great. I love having followers. I, you know, I want to have have the most impact that I can so I can raise consciousness in my way in a way that's like authentic 
to me. Um, that was the whole point of Econscious was mm. I came out of my journalism degree so cynical of mm. the world and just went, this isn't in alignment with me. Mm. I need to create something that is. I wanted to kind of align with businesses that were and there didn't seem to be anything that like fit perfectly. So I guess, yeah, as like being a manifesto generator, I was like, I put it out there. Totally. And that's what happened. Um, yeah, but it means that I can kind of be yeah quite deliberate with what I'm receiving as well and then make those deliberate connections with people like yourself like mm. we met through social media totally we have connections in the real world but it like gives you a point to kind of yeah connect with people yeah yeah and I think that's the most beautiful thing is that when we can let it be this living breathing organism that just like anything else gets fed gets you know we move around it has a break like all of that stuff because mm. otherwise like it's like you know any person that's overfed overwatered any you know what i mean yeah it just needs that same we need to apply the same principles of life of hygiene of nourishment mm. to every part of our life yeah um that actually takes me to the, the sort of first thing that resonated with me was your work i guess your mm. poem i don't mm. um about hatching did you want to talk to me about that a bit more yeah because i've got it here written but i would um yeah let's I have a look. Hear it from you. yeah so it was so bizarre because i've been working with um maybe working is the wrong term um playing play and work <laughs> with the fact that in a muse or the inspiration for where my work is heading now and what i'm doing isn't sit down like oh my god i have to think of something new mm. it's what has been embodied and how can i bring that out mm. and so when i found this poem it was on my you know how facebook has that feature where yeah. it's like oh on this day i think it's called yeah so oh, this was three years ago on this day and this is a poem i wrote then so it's really perfect timing yeah so i don't even have a name for her but this is it there she is i am in love with her a woman after my own heart wild untamable she looks at you with those eyes she embraces the chaos within she embraces the chaos outside she no longer wants to hide she loves her bare face her curves, her unruly hair. She loves the way she moves. And in flowing with the fullness of life, she decides it's up to her to find stillness, to carve out sacred moments within her day. There she is home. Wait, I am her. This is me. Thank you. It's so beautiful. It's so funny, like, writing that, and it was, I think it was just after, oh, actually, no, it wasn't after, it wasn't just after a breakup, it was a couple of months after, but it's that essence of inner muse or any work that we do within business or ourselves, but particularly with that work and creativity, where we, that essence is home within us, it's a natural state. Mm creativity is untamable and it is wild and we can't control it but we can take a seat put pen to paper make space for it yeah you know and embody her within within our current life and um it's funny that was that was even three houses ago now you know i think i, I look at the way that where we live as well as a as an entity of the soul it's like at that that house was the first house that I moved out of in Perth mm. after I just moved back in with my mom and it was this really liberating time and that's how I want in a muse to feel like is liberating mm. Mm. and I think that will resonate with women almost on a global scale um, at this time where there's a lot of shift happening we're almost experiencing quote-unquote like third wave of feminism in a sense so yeah, yeah it's interesting though I 
I resonate so much with feminism and I resonate so much with being an independent woman. Mm. But where I have found the most healing has been when I've allowed the dance of my essence as a woman be magnetic, be resourceful, be creative, Mm -hmm. to take action. However, I have stopped contributing to the story that I don't need a man Mm. because that's actually not my story Mm. and I don't need Ben I don't ever need a man I was actually I realized that also we look at we look at the muse the history of the word muse okay so artists have had a muse right so looking at the fact that we all have our own inner masculine and our own inner feminine Mm. so yes the muse I don't use the word feminine, but it is the feminine essence in a way, right? But we have to be able to make space for us to witness that devotional doing. Now, as a feminine essence within my relationship, I get more out of myself and Ben gets more out of himself. And we both get more out of the relationship when we are mastering our own energy Mm. and working together as a team. Yeah. Life has never been more fun, more in love, more... Like, I can't believe I get to work with the person that I love the most. Yeah. Um, and I... It's, it's like that is true creation for me, working with somebody. And so it's actually something that I've... Like, I've... This might sound... Again, this might be totally controversial. Like, I've thrown out my Germaine Greer books. Mm. Because I just don't resonate with a lot of that. Um, maybe I don't want to use the word story, but that dogma anymore. Yeah. I don't resonate with belittling the work that also men have to do for their own healing. Mm. Yes, women have to heal too. Yes, I get that. And that's what I'm here to do. That's the best way I can contribute. But it doesn't work when I deny the fact that the men on our earth are also traumatized. Yeah. When we deny the men um, within our communities are hurting too. Mm-hmm. And they're being emasculated, you know, when the masculine wants to help, when he wants to step up and, and be in that role and wants to be protective mm-hmm. and wants to provide. When we deny the masculine that... We then also deny that part of ourselves as a feminine essence. So this doesn't have to be man and woman. Mm. Did you notice how I haven't said that, right? We deny that part of ourselves that need, that are nurturing and nurturers. And so I've managed to amplify what I do and how I'm being alongside somebody who, what's the word for, like besides contrast um compromise yeah it's like we're like really working to the strength of my feminine embodiment Mm. um rather than being a one-man band yeah yeah and trying to kind of embody it all yeah honestly exhausting yeah And so it's been really interesting within our relationship, which is why human design, again, I keep returning to, has been so powerful for me on an individual level and on a relationship level with my partner and also the people around me. Mm. Because I can just see the potential behind really communicating on a level of presence and behavior, because that is communication. Yeah. Um, my beliefs and my values Mm -hmm. so i for example am willing to ask for help more than i ever was before which receivership is one of the biggest mm, things for women totally feminine energy yeah totally and you know we all have our own stories around receiving the fact that the 
majority of women that I know are either in their unhealthy feminine or unhealthy masculine or whatever, but it's like we have to rewrite our own stories around that. Mm. But demonizing one essence for another doesn't help it either. No, it doesn't. So we've spoken about a lot of topics today mm. and I feel like everyone's going to have some food for thought to kind of <laughs> yeah. really, uh, yeah, just kind of reflect on. It's something that I have been kind of implementing every conversation that I've had with these inspiring earthlings each month is, um, so you mentioned that you've thrown out Gojo Nandria books. <laughs> yeah. What books are on your bookshelf right now or what literature does really resonate with you that like other people could kind of, you know, gravitate towards to facilitate their own awakening? I love that. Um, he is so big at the moment, Joe Dispenza. Yes. Yeah. Um, so that's beautiful. Um, funnily enough, I am loving this book, Profit First. Um, he's big in business, but he's done a lot of like, um, pumpkin plan and stuff like that. So, uh, Mike McCallowitz, uh, one of my ultimate goal companies is, um, thank you water or thank oh, you. Yeah, yeah. So when they were, when they first began, and this is for me, total innovation. I'm not sure if you know their background or their story. I know a little bit, but yeah. yeah. So, you know, they were just three uni kids, right? Before they took on the water, the bottled water, yeah. you know, industry, um, so what they did was they implemented profit first. Okay. And so that's what I'm currently implementing in my business and my personal finance. It think like barefoot investor, but like really refined. Oh, I really want to see where Super juicy. Um, I loved Earth is Hiring, but I read that a little while ago. And so what I'm currently getting my teeth into right this minute is The Language of Emotions by Carla McLaren. And my Kundalini yoga, um, some Kundalini yoga books. Yeah, awesome. yeah. Um, I don't. I try not to read only self development or spiritual I'm stuff. A bit the same. Like you know, finding that balance. Finding that balance, but um, if I'm not reading a self develop, or if I'm not reading something that's like, yeah, like fiction, I'm actually just loving tuning out and watching movies. And um, there's this. Netflix series that we did just finish, um, which is called The Mind Hunter. Oh yeah, I watched. I watched the first season. I okay. Watch the second. So I just watched the second season. Now, I promise this is relating to this. <laughs> it doesn't need to be. No, 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 no. no mindful but, uh, at all. It's no, no, good but to have um, that balance. It does. What it did for me though was, it made me think about the power of the mind mm. and influence and this is just the way that my my personal intellect works has anyone here heard of charles manson do you know charles manson i have heard of charles the, manson, so yeah. he was the first ever serial killer to be charged for crimes that he personally didn't commit yeah so he like ran a cult and the people in the cult did the killings mm. I was just having this conversation with somebody. So this is a little bit <laughs> scary for me because it's like, wow, Susan's brain works weird. But it was <laughs> like, I was watching the bit where they're talking to Charles Manson in the show and he's very, very charismatic. He's, he's a small man, mm. but he's very charismatic. Mm. Almost and then, like Ted Bundy. In that yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but then the biggest question that they had was like, okay, how did he influence these people who were from pretty regular backgrounds mm. to do something so heinous? Um, and then I found out his energy type was the same as mine. So as a projector, um, we have the power of those who resonate with us to really listen to us because we can feel exactly what they need. Yeah. And so my brain went... <laughs> because it was like oh my god charles manson is a projector who used his powers for evil <laughs> that like everyone has the potential to you know learn something whether it's something from reading or you consume something and it's um you know a tv show or something mm. but what you do with that consumption is what matters so whatever charles manson has consumed in the past experience you know all of the things 
unfortunately, yeah. he had taken what he has come so natural to him and for whatever reason, it has become this, you know, really awful tragedy, but it had to happen in order to like see the psychology behind that, you yeah. know? Anyway, it was just really interesting to me because that's one of the things I'm kind of spending my time reading about mm. is also my human design. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is interesting in like what you're deliberately kind of consuming in a mindful way and then things that kind of pop up into your life. Yeah, we, we're not all just walking around on our spiritual high horse, like you said earlier. Oh, we have lives. Wouldn't it be fun? Wouldn't it be fun <laughs> to just do that all the time? Yeah, <laughs> draining more life. Oh, God. Um, yeah, so it's funny what kind of comes into your path and, like, the fact that you guys sat down and watched that and then learnt that from... Totally. Mm. I was like, I'm... Yeah, like... And at the same time, like, this is, again, really dark, but... For whatever reason or form, he felt in his heart he fulfilled his role. Mm. As icky as that is, as gross as that may make people feel, like in his own selfishness, he had fulfilled his role in his ecosystem. Yeah. Um, which is why I wholeheartedly believe that I don't think anyone is really born. Like it's a mix of like, what is your, what are you born with? Like I don't have any control over my essence, right? And mm. you don't either. Mm. And you're, you didn't have any control that you were born a female. Yeah. You know, yeah. but it's like what you do with that. And it's like, what, what do we do with our traumas? What do we do with what, what we're yeah. experiencing or what we have control over or not at the mm. end of the day? Maybe that's a really beautiful way to finish off today. Mm, it's so you. quick. Oh, we've been talking for about an hour. I know. <laughs> I can talk anyone's ear off. <laughs> well, it was beautiful. You're a wonderful speaker. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Today.